Hello and welcome to the Dallas Soccer Show. I'm Dustin Nation. And in this episode, we're going to break down both SC Dallas versus Nashville matches. It's a two-for-one special. Uh, and plus, we've got special guest Jeff Organ of Texas Soccer Journal here to help us look ahead to Friday's Texas Derby in Houston. Uh, and as always, joining me this week is Jonathan Roz. How's it going, Jonathan? Are you recovered from Sunday night's match yet? Uh, I, I am. It took the, the whole day on Monday, I would say, to, to recover, going to bed at two and then getting up at six for work. But, you know, such is life. Such is the, the, the tough life of an SC Dallas fan. There's a lot of reasons the life of an FC Dallas fan is tough, but uh, we we didn't need one more. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to start off with some news before we get into the matches, just because, uh, you know, the games are coming hot and heavy this season. And we there's a lot of things going on. We just want to make sure we stay on top of them um, as we go here. Uh, so let's start off with um, something we talked talked a little bit about in the last episode. FC Dallas was rumored at the time, but has now confirmed a, uh, a loan for Felipe Megillaro uh, to come in and, and be a goalkeeper backup or compete against uh, Jimmy Maurer. So... What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Any, any revelations since the last time we met? Not really. I mean, we spent quite a bit of time talking about it last time that for, for me, you know, great pedigree. Um, you know, we're getting that we're, we're, we're taking advantage of those connections that we have, um, you know, back to the club and to, to Grimio and it's, it's, it's helping, but, uh, and he's a 21 year old. So, uh, and I think one of the things that's new in, uh, in this, we, we knew that it was going to be some of the rumors were there's going to be a one year loan with uh, a potential two point five million dollar buyout. They didn't mention what the buyout would be, but I mean the loan itself is only through December, so I mean they don't have a lot of time, a lot of opportunities to really see how well he plays before they're going to have to pull the trigger and make the decision if it's going to be a a permanent transfer or not. Yeah, I, I think. We'll touch on this here in a little bit, but I think there'll be plenty of opportunities uh, to to get people into matches. So we'll just I think it will depend on how well he shows out in in training. I mean, we saw the same thing with uh, Aviles, where he got signed in, started training with the first team, and what I'm hearing is the training didn't go so well, and so he just got shipped right back down to North Texas. So yeah, yeah, Dustin, we definitely need. A, a, a second keeper so um well i guess we'll we'll see hopefully we'll see what this guy uh, has yeah the other the other big news um that's that's rolling in they rolled in it was there was a rumor for a while uh lots of rumors abounding from these south american connections um andres ricarte um and i'm i'm really bad at pronouncing names that that uh aren't from my wheelhouse, so Andres, Andres Recarte. Um, that sounded kind of French. Well, <laughs> anyways, so he's a um, Colombian center attacking midfielder. Uh, FC Dallas has signed him on a loan as well. Uh, Jonathan, what what do you know? What do we know about Recarte? Uh, he so we know he came over uh, for Tam. So and he's going to occupy an international spot. So that would be I think both of these players will be occupying international slots. Uh, he's 28 years old. Uh, he played for uh, Independiente Medellin for 98 games, scoring 12 goals and 23 assists over that time period. Um, what's interesting to me is really because we've we've both probably gone and looked at YouTube and seen how he plays. Uh, he's he definitely is more of an attacking midfielder. Uh, He's played some, if, if I go back and look at the formations that he's been in over just the last, say, six months. Um, he plays either on the left wing or if it's a more four-three-two-one kind of setup, he'll play in that 10 spot. Um, sorry, yeah. four, yeah, four-two-three-one. Yeah, <laughs> he'll be in that, he'll be in that, in that 10 spot. Um, it's interesting because because obviously FC Dallas doesn't normally play with a ten under Lucci style, so I expect he's going to be that you know that center attacking midfielder. It's, I mean the the news you know from uh, from people that are familiar with him is that he's you know one of the best midfielders uh, in in that uh, league, 
So, I mean, that's, and he's coming at 28, which is, you know, kind of a, a peak or pr- the the prime of his career. So, it's a, you know, honestly, from an FC Dallas perspective, it's a pretty big time signing. Um, it's coming over also on a loan for Tam, right? We don't know what the, what the amount is going to be if they actually execute that option and bring him on full time. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely, definitely interesting. And I think, Dustin, unless you have some thoughts on the player himself, I mean, I think the big, to me, the biggest thing is what's it do to the rest of the midfield? Yeah, no, I think, um, the, the question to, for like a statement about the player himself and what it, the ramifications to the midfield is how does Lucci want to use him? Um, and, you know, looking at the videos, there was some, some talk that maybe he would be an eight a linking eight, maybe that free eight, um, I really think, I really think, and even Dan Hunt said he called him a 10. Like, I really think that they're bringing him in for attacking creativity. I think they're looking for a player that's going to help provide that last, as Lucy Gonzalez called it, the last ingredient to the, to the recipe that they're trying to make, um, to help get the ball into dangerous areas. And, and I think that, you know, they didn't think that, they could do it with the players they had. And um, the other thing is, so w- what does this do to the rest of the team? Like we, you, um, I know you like to see Paxton. You'd like to, every, a lot of people would like to see Paxton play that 10 spot. Jesus is playing it. Um, yep. We saw Hara play it, right? Where, where does, where does this leave the already crowded midfield position? Does, does it, cause some of our homegrowns to not get minutes well i think number one if any we'll get into the nashville match later in the episode or matches um but i I don't think there's an fc dallas fan out there that isn't thinking right now we need a little bit more creativity in the final third so um that part is exciting i I do think that he's in that 10 or most most forward attacking midfielder whatever you want to call it right it's a four three three uh that's that for sure looks like it's his spot and it feels like it's the right place for him to be. The, the question about Paxton and Jesus, and if you even go further down the line, if you're talking about, you know, Cervania and Thomas Roberts, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who I think have that skill set, especially those first three, right? Uh, sorry, especially Paxton, Jesus and uh, Thomas Roberts, right? Are both kind of those creative players. Uh, Roberts, I mean that's almost a whole another pot on its own to talk about you know, how we're how we're going to get you know, the the approach for him to progress, uh, but you know he's Roberts isn't going to be on the first team anyways any, anytime soon. Um, so if we're looking at Paxton and Jesus, I think what's what's interesting and uh, is we might be at a point now where we're going from you know last year where we had you know a pretty much all homegrown midfield. To this year, where I, I think it's highly likely that um, you know none of those three play start in the middle, right? And it's going to be mm-hmm. fighting for minutes on that left wing with uh, with with Fafa. Yeah, no, I I I see what you're saying there. I think there's also you know the worry, um, and I think Buzz Buzz Carrick on Third Degree put out an article saying, "Is this the end to the to play the kids?" You know, you're bringing in an outs a, a goaltender from South America you're bringing in a South American um, you know prime of his age midfielder you've got um, you know Brian Acosta you know you've, you've got all these players that are coming in and, and filling positions that we we've um, we've seen be filled and by homegrown players coming up through the Dallas Academy, FC Dallas Academy. And, and the question is, is, is that the end? And here's my take on this. Um, I don't think that we're going to be able to clean, glean anything from this season, from any of these individual matches, um, or, or even really maybe even next season off of like philosophically, we're not going to be able to take any match here or this in the rest of the season and be able to say, Oh, this is a change in philosophy because I think at this point we're pretty much in like, let's just get through this season. What, how can we survive this season? How can we, we've got a game every four days. Uh, how do we, how do we just manage that? And 
I don't think that that will be that it's fair to to take and look at at what they're bringing in and and what they're doing in one particular game or even two particular games like there's going to have to be a significant trend for to convince me that that any type of philosophical change has happened to FC Dallas so I'll I'll give you this year because I do think that it's a unique year and honestly having the five sub rule means that Lucci has the opportunity to spread those minutes around I I don't know if that five sub rule will be in place next year for MLS we'll see uh but to to me they've got to move if if they have this type of logjam and, and uh uh Ricarte looks like he's going to pan out and they've still getting Acosta and Santos playing well they've got to move one or maybe both those guys whether it be uh alone you know, to a to a you know European second division club or USL Champions League or something they've got to be able to get um, Paxton and Jesus uh, and Thomas Roberts, right? To some minutes. Um, honestly, I think Cervania might get some minutes here and there once he gets healthy. So uh, I think I think he's more likely to get time once everybody's healthy than Paxton and Jesus potentially. Yeah, and, and I, I think that, like you said, there's five subs. There's a game every four days. People are going to get their playing time. And the way I view this is this as kind of like an audition for next season. This whole thing, bring in all the people that you could think might be able to to help you and then see how it sorts out over the long term and let that inform. It's, that way you don't have to just do January, like January, February, and then make a decision on who's going to be your, your starter. You got a whole season that's kind of um, going to help you inform you on your future. Yeah, so it is something to keep an eye on for the season, and I'm sure Dustin will talk about it many more times on this pod as the as the year progresses assuming that we get you know a full 18 games plus our three extras for fc dallas for to to play out the rest of the season um but it's it's definitely interesting but that being said i think this is an exciting move right especially after especially after seeing what happened in nashville and you know that I guess before we get into Nashville, I guess the, the other, the other, we're talking about players coming in, right? But uh, there's also a lot of talk about, you know, maybe a player going the other way. Maybe one of those kids is not going to get played because he's not here. What are, what are you hearing, Dustin? Uh, so Reggie Cannon, this possibly could have been his last match, at least his last home match. There's lots and lots of rumors about him him leaving. Um, I've heard, you know, Barnsley was interested, but that didn't pan out. Um, I've heard that, you know, there's got Portugal and Spain, Spanish interest buzz at third degree has said that there's French interest. Um, I think that that one actually has the most legs, the French, but I, I think the, the bottom line is, is that Reggie Cannon probably isn't going to be at FC Dallas much longer um, you know, we, he's Luis Dollar, who's been on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, El Matador, one of the leaders of El Matador, was saying that he came over and basically all but confirmed it whenever they were talking after the match. You know, um, and joking about speaking, learning French. So, um, you know, is where there's smoke, there's fire, Jonathan. No, I I, I would agree, and I, yeah, I saw that that on on Twitter as well. It was well, first off, uh pretty awesome banners from El Matador. Um, and I'm sure uh, Reggie really appreciated those. I, I know that there was a couple pictures after the game of him kind of coming up and uh, giving them his jersey. I don't know which particular person got his jersey, but giving somebody his jersey from El Matador. Um, you take that with tongs? Like you, you know, you put it I, straight into a bag? They, they didn't show a video. I'm guessing actually that they threw it or something because he did stay. The picture that I saw showed Reggie staying behind the security and with the six kind of the, the six aisle separation. So uh, mm-hmm. obviously those guys are uh, being super bubble careful. Um, so sure. I don't know. I don't know if he, if he tossed it to somebody or what. Well, I guess, you know, you know that Reggie's getting tested every day. So you know that it's unlikely that he right <laughs> has sweated it onto the, the Jersey. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we saw that. And I guess, I mean, obviously Reggie's a 
fantastic player, one of our favorites. We've we, we've joked around, mean or talked about the potential of him not being here this season at all. Um, so I think we're uh, yeah, at least I'm I'm happy to have seen him four times, maybe five times this year. Yeah, not surprising. Still still hard, uh, just because we all we all love Reggie. He's a great guy. Yep, and so. he's got obviously a, a, a couple of people just thinking quickly, right? And uh, we can probably spend more time on it once it's once it's confirmed that he's leaving, right? Um, he's got a couple of guys that I think can can take his spot, right? So, yep. uh, you know, Reynolds, who I know we both love, right, uh, has is an extremely athletic right back, uh, and I think that he's got the opportunity to potentially grab that from Brisson. So, um, but yeah, that's. Yeah, we, we can we can spend some time once we're here and try to do a, a breakdown of what we think happens. But um, at least at least FC Dallas is in a place that yes, one youngster is going, but we got we got another one uh, we got another one in the wings. We'll say, yeah. And we I should mention that you know we have a, a pretty personal connection with the Cannon family. Reggie was the first player interviewer I I ever did. You can go back in our our website and find it. I'm sure it's hilarious, uh, hilariously bad on my part, but uh, it was a lot of fun getting to know Ned, Reggie. And then we actually even had his mom come on the show for uh, the Mother's Day episode, and that was awesome. So we uh, we owe a lot to the to the Cannon family. So um, super excited for his success wherever that may be. Yeah. So so speaking of the end of the game or or the, these Nashville games, and what did you? What did you take away from from? Well, start with with Wednesday. What did what did you take away from the Wednesday match? Yeah, um, Wednesday was. I think it it started out just like you'd think it would start back. Start out for a game, first game back for both teams. Like pretty tentative, sluggish, feeling each other out, boring. Um, uh, but you know the the, the game. They, both teams kind of grew into the game. Um, FC Dallas tried their whole possession thing again. Um, they, they, they were very, I'd say intentional about their progression. They want, you know, the very Lucci balling, uh, where they want to build from the back. And then they were very intentional about how they wanted to build up. And I went into a lot of detail in, in it on an article on our website, but I will, I'll spare you here. Uh, but essentially it kind of ran through Santos and then worked its way up to Jesus and then relied on some sort of creativity to get the ball to make a play after that. And, and, uh, that's kind of where things broke down mostly the first half and is, was once they were able to get past that, that first two, like the forwards in the midfield of, of, um, of Nashville, most, most of the time the attack petered out and, um, you know, it, it had the feel of if you've ever watched um, any of those those games, the the preseason games that Lucci has, where he's got half the team versus the other team, half the other team, um, and the team will do the exact same build up, or they will try the exact same uh, feature every every time they get the ball. They'll, they'll not feature, but uh, attack kind or of progression. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's like they they're just doing it for repetition, and that's very much what the first half of the the Wednesday's match against Nashville felt like. Is that Lucci said, "Here, we're going to do this, and this is going to be the way we're going to do it." And ultimately, it didn't work out. You know, it had varying success for cycling the ball, getting the ball past the forwards and the midfielders, but then nothing. Um, got a little bit more, I guess. Uh, hopeful uh, from the FC Dallas side on this in the second half as they were starting to make more and more chances. But if you noticed um, the second half, they, they shifted quite a bit. They, they kind of abandoned that, that um, go playing through the middle and up the, up the gut. And as time went on and the players were added and formations were shifted, they pretty well abandoned like the center of the pitch and played on the wings and tried to exploit the fullbacks and the space in between the wingers and the fullbacks for Nashville. And frankly, they got like their best, like FC Dallas got their best, most creative players on the wings to make plays. Um, they had Paxton working with, 
with Hollingshead. You had Barrios working with Cannon, and they're comboing, and we're able to actually make more chances than they did in the first half, but, I mean, it was still pretty underwhelming. Uh, and then, you know, we all know what happened to end that game. It ended a 1-0 FC Dallas lost because in the 86th minute, 86th minute they kind of got caught out in a moment of of lack of concentration and got caught on the counter counterattack um, by David Akam. So um, I think the interesting thing there was um, Paxton was injured again, couldn't start. Yep. And that's to me a little worrying. You know, we talked about him getting more minutes at the 10, but I mean, gosh darn it. Like the kid's got to be healthy and he's got to stay healthy. I mean, he had, we, he, had, he was knackered, knock, knock, he had knocks all of last season um, and was playing through pain. And we were told he was healthy at the beginning of the season. And then we come, we have six month layoff and he's hurt again. Um, I think to me, that's pretty worrying. Uh, but then also Cobra was on the bench because he also had a, a knock. So we got to see Frank O'Hara start his first match and not get the ball a whole lot. Yeah, I noticed that he had, I mean, the only way he did get the ball in that match was to go back and get it, which put him in a in a position where he was trying to play between the lines and uh, was therefore trying to take shots from way too far out. He did put two on frame. Yeah, I'll give him that. But they were both directly at the keeper. <laughs> um, so, yeah. uh, so I'm willing to I'm willing to chalk those two shots like not being super well-placed. I'm willing to chalk that up to first game back. But, um, and I think some of the, I guess, sloppiness that was shown, I'm willing to chalk up to, to first game back. But like the overall game plan and the quality um, going into the final third is 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 uh, an area of concern, we'll call it, an opportunity. Yeah, and I think that, the, I mean, People who listen to the last podcast wouldn't be surprised because I, I I expected FC Dallas to lose that first match for the very reasons that we oh, saw play out. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I'm scoreboard. I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just being. It's it's less about the prediction, but I did. I was concerned, right, with knowing how they were going to want to sit back, right, Nashville, and knowing that FC Dallas was going to play a possession based approach, um, and. You know, we saw what happened, which would be, you know, there, there was no creativity. The opportunity never, never played out. And then, you know, it only takes, you know, one half, half chance and in Nashville, you know, gets their one zero win and they walk away. Right. Yeah. So fast forward a whole four days to Sunday um, and four days and then like, most of another day because of rain rain delay. Uh, Sunday rolls around and they play Nashville again. Jonathan, so, did you go ahead? Yeah. Well, so first shout out to those those fans who sat in their car for three and a half hours or more in the parking lot waiting for it to reopen. I saw some people taking pictures on Twitter. Um, that's pretty pretty fantastic to, to actually show up before the game and just sit there until i think it was like 1107 when the when the kickoff actually happened um i actually ended up going to the game myself uh, i <laughs> funny enough i i wasn't planning on on going to the game when i saw the rain delay uh realized that the crowd would be honestly pretty thin and it would be you know 30 degrees cooler um I made some quick arrangements and had the opportunity to to go to go watch uh, with a few diehard fans. There's probably I, I sat on the east side. There's probably in my section seven other people. I don't know what the total you know the total number of fans that actually were there when the game kicked off. I would say it probably closer to. Eh. I mean, it might have actually been close to eight nine hundred, which considering is not bad. Considering a game that got over at like one o'clock in the morning is not too bad. Um, now, the the match itself, uh, man, <laughs> I'm all like, can, can, can I can, can I pass? You know, just, I'm all like, uh, thanks know. thanks thanks for asking me for my opinion, but I'll pass. The I mean, you can pass, but you're not allowed to score afterwards. Oh, okay, um, 
only there's only a couple of notes. So one was uh, there was some some rumors early on that uh, earlier in the day that we might see. Uh, we knew that Ryan was going to miss for for personal reasons, right? So that there was a, yep. a remembrance for his for I think it was his father or father in law. I can't remember his father. Yeah, his father that had that had passed away earlier. Um, that that he was making a a, uh, a commercial flight, and so therefore he's self isolating until he can you know wait long enough. There's there's actually a chance he'll miss miss this next match in Houston as well. Um, so we knew that was happening. I was not. Initially, was not that concerned about that change. Um, the other one was uh, having, you know, Hara play in that ten spot behind Cobra, um, which honestly, even going in, I was like, all right, well, it'd be interesting. I can see why Luchi wants to see it because I think we, we've thought for a while that you know one of the reasons why he was testing out three five two was to see what what if he if he had two you know, starting caliber strikers, if there's opportunities to, to play them both. I, I did not like the option of having in a, in a four, three, three. I, I was, I was concerned about buildup. And I think we saw that, uh, was it Matt Doyle that had something on Twitter? It showed like the, here's the, 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 the heat map of all the connections between, between, uh, Hara and Coburn. It was like one pass or something. Yeah. <laughs> So, something like something like that. So um, that part was was definitely not exciting. The other thing, and and I didn't realize it really until I was going back and rewatching the game because in person, you know, I was taking in the atmosphere and watching what was happening. But I went back and watched the game uh, last night, and I think not having Hollingshead, even though I didn't think about it, really isn't a big drop off. But the way they play is very different. Yep. Um, so I don't think they. They were impacted from a defensive perspective, but they lost. I mean, it became FC Dallas became very lopsided. The only thing that was going to happen was going through through Mikey and Reggie. Um, the left side, basically, from an offensive perspective, nothing nothing wrong with Fafa, but it just without those overlapping runs, right, and things to challenge, especially with as compact as Nashville is playing, it just. Um, no, that's a that's a good point. Um, the way they used uh, Ryan Hollingshead in the first match was more as a part of the attack and they used in the, at least in the first half whenever they were trying to like get their feet they used Reggie or Ryan Hollingshead as part of the attack and Reggie Cannon kind of stayed back and he helped link the defense with the midfield and Ryan Hollingshead helped kind of link the um midfield towards the the forwards right um and with Nelson in there ooh, I I like Nelson um yep. Haven't seen him since last June, though. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think that they were cautious with how they were using him. They didn't want to get him in a position to get caught out. And they wanted to, like, just kind of help build his confidence, knowing that this is not the only match he's going to be playing in the next couple of days. Um, don't don't get him. Don't let him get caught out. Don't let him get something that's just going to utterly ruin his confidence. Like what happened in... Um, uh, New York City with Jacory Hayes, where it took mm-hmm. him forever to get his his confidence back after that. In the the point about, I, I think in that first game, if the only the only players I remember, and I'm sure there's some statistic to, to to show me this, but the only players I I remember noticing that first game that were actually making those penetrating runs uh, was Ryan and Paxton. It's the only people I remember breaking lines. Uh, maybe there was you know, one or two opportunities somewhere else. So that was big. That's a big thing um, that I noticed in that match. Uh, and then, you know, just uh, the the other thing, and I know we'll probably talk a little bit later on um, during the, the discussion around the next match, but um, Acosta hasn't been bad, but I feel, especially in games like against Nashville where, um, the team is sitting back, so maybe not for Houston, but in a team like like Nashville where they're sitting back, that we need somebody a bit more creative. So I don't know if that's Tessman, right? I think that's Paxton. Or is that is it Paxton and who? Jesus, Paxton and Hara. I, well, right, I'm, say, right, I'm right. saying of the of your of your three midfielders. Right? I'm saying eventually. Yeah, if eventually, it's not on the wing, he goes there. Eventually, it could be Cervania. True, true, true. I think Cervania's got a, a much better. You know, 
uh, yeah. game both both ways. Yeah. So those those so, are my those are my 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 big notes. Yeah. For me, the second game, uh, it felt besides the obvious issues, um, the whole thing felt a lot less mechanical. Felt like um, you know every time we talked about it, they were very intentional in the first game. I think that the the, the leash the reins kind of came off on that second match, and there were there was a lot more long balls you would see. There was a lot more dribbling that you would see and take ons, um, to try to break the lines and, and make things happen. So, um, did anything come of it? No, (laughs) but you could definitely tell that they were trying new things and adding new things to the mix to try to see if they could find that right combination. And they did not. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to give our match build up show for FC Dallas versus Houston on Friday. And we're back for our match build-up section for Friday's match in Houston. Joining us for this segment is the man behind Texas Soccer Journal and longtime Houston Dynamo season ticket holder, Jeff Organ. How's it going, Jeff? I'm doing fine, Dustin. A pleasure to be with you tonight. So um, I know you from Texas Soccer Journal uh, on Twitter and, and your website. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Texas Soccer Journal is and um, like your, I guess what you guys are about. I'm uh, I'm actually retired uh, from my career and and um, I uh, as I was telling you a little bit before uh, we got started, what started me on this was Copa America Centenario in 2016, where I did a lot of traveling around the country, and um, and the final uh, I actually got a chance to see the final two, but the game that made the most impact on me was the game where. Lionel Messi in Argentina came to play the Dynamo or play play the U.S. soccer in two, in the semifinals, and Argentina definitely took care of the United States. and And what really amazed me about that whole process was that was the second time that Lionel Messi, who's maybe the second most famous or maybe the most famous athlete in the world, had been in Texas and it was virtually ignored. And so I started Texas Soccer Journal as kind of a way to. Uh, to try to change that and to bring a little bit more in, in what little way that I could with my time, um, uh, a little bit more soccer knowledge about the state. And over time, as the as the project has evolved, I'm focusing a lot more recently on Texas soccer history, especially with the pandemic. And um, and also my focus is much more on South Texas uh, because I found that uh, you and, and Third Degree and, and John Arnold and other people up there do a more than adequate job of covering things up there. Very cool. So uh, your your history with Houston, tell us a little bit about about how you ended up being a Houston fan. Well, I. Uh, it, I actually have been following MLS since the beginning. I'm sort of given my age out here. I, um, I, my soccer uh, days date all the way back to 1974 when I followed the San Jose Earthquakes in the North American Soccer League. I was actually at the first inaugural game that they played there. Um, and I, I then spent three years in the Army in Germany and developed a real love for the sport over there. So I've been a fan for years. And when MLS got started, it was like leaving a wasteland um, because there had been so many years where we didn't have a professional soccer league. And because I was living in San Diego at the time, I was an L.A. Galaxy fan. And um, and in fact, stayed an L.A. Galaxy fan up until the time that the Dynamo uh, arrived in Houston, where I was living in 2006. And then I sort of threw him to the curb and became a Dynamo fan, who, interestingly enough, had a connection back through San Jose uh, because they were the San Jose Earthquakes um, when they uh, when they moved to Houston. So I became a season ticket holder in 2006 and uh, and, and have to say that. Uh, you know, it, it was not hard to become a fan when they won two MLS Cups in the first years that they were in the city. Yeah, no, that's uh, that'll do it. That'll make it easy. So this this year's a little bit different than other years. We've you know, we're in July. I'm Captain Obvious here. Uh, we're in August here and we've only well, FC Dallas has played a grand total of four matches and Houston's played five, I think. Yes. So we. What, how does this, this season's Houston Dynamo team compare to maybe last year's team so far this season? 
It's well, last year, I, I hope they don't compare very well to last year's team because last year was not very good. And um, particularly on the road where the Dynamo have struggled, frankly, since the inception of the franchise, even the days when they were very good. Uh, they were, you know, extremely good at home and and, and struggled on the road. Um, this year, the team is in transition again. Um, and since Dominic Kinnear left, uh, I believe after the 2014 season, uh, we've been through, you know, three permanent managers, Tab Ramos is the third, and two interim managers along the way. So the team has been in a constant state of flux and transition since that point. Um, last year, the team got off to a extremely good start. Um, but frankly, it was, a, it was a little bit of a mirage because it was based on a fairly easy schedule and a lot of home matches. Once they hit the road and, and some of the international absences happened and the, the wheel fell off and the middle of the season was awful. And Wilmer Cabrera got fired and they brought an interim manager in and Davey Arno. And obviously, Todd Ramos came in, and he's now attempting to implement another uh, another system. And as you pointed out, this is a very unique year in that we're kind of coming out of the third preseason. So it's it's really uh, uh, and it, it's going to be very interesting to see how all the training that he's been able to do over the course of the last few months is going to translate out on the field. Did you have any big takeaways from the MLS's back tournament? Obviously, uh, Houston didn't didn't progress into the you know, out of the group stage but they were also in kind of a tough group when you go back and look um, especially seeing where Portland ended up right because it was uh, LAFC LA Galaxy and Portland were there any big um, takeaways that you got from as far as how Houston was performing and maybe some of what we might see this weekend I think the the biggest takeaway that I had from those three matches um were I guess number one, don't give up penalties in the 90th minute when you're on your way to the to the knockout rounds. Um, but secondarily, um, it was you know they they played as you pointed out some pretty tough matches. Uh, LAFC is a handful for many for anybody, even without Vea and um, and they uh, you know they the Dynamo built up a very strong three to one lead at halftime. They played very very well. LAFC admittedly made a few mistakes in the back. But then they tried to sit on their heels and gave up enormous amounts of possession in the second half. And needless to say, they were punished by, you know, people like Diego Rossi, who was, you know, quite a revelation in that tournament. Um, the Portland game was was actually quite different in that the Dynamo controlled possession had something like 24 or 25 shots. But as I think you're well aware, Portland is a very crafty team and they have uh, a core of players that have been there for a long time and they punish the Dynamo. You know, people like Diego Valeri, who seems to be public enemy number one in Houston, um, you know, really did a, a number on us and and the Dynamo ended up losing that match. The Galaxy game was extremely frustrating. Uh, again, the Dynamo conceded a lot of possession, but um, they held it together defensively until that big mistake in the end. So, but but I think you can honestly say that over the course of the three matches, there was a lot of progress. And it's pretty clear that Tab Ramos is trying to play a, you know, uh, he wants to play on the front foot and attack. And, um, you know, he's lined him up, lining him up in more of a 4-3-3 kind of a formation. And I think one of the going into the season, one of the biggest issues was going to be what they were going to be, do with Darwin Quintero. Um, you know, you know, watching him in Dallas, um, that that he can change games by himself if he wants to. And um, they're still, I think, experimenting a little bit with what they're going to do with him. But in the in the last game, um, he started coming into the center a lot more. And he's much more dangerous when he's going to goal and much more dangerous playing in the middle. And he he overlapped very nicely with uh, Adam Lundquist, who is, um, you know, our left back, who uh, has been with the Dynamo for a few years. But now that Demarcus Beasley is retired, has now stepped in as the as the first choice. And the two of them are figuring out the chemistry together. But we saw a lot of progress in that in the game. Wait, Beasley's finally retired? For real, yeah, this time? He, he, I think he is <laughs> <Okay>. this time. <laughs> so, we want to make sure that we're not, you know. I, I I wouldn't be shocked if I saw him in the 2022 World <laughs> Cup, but, you know. The man does not age. At, at the present time, I don't think he's going to be in MLS much more. Cool. Um, besides Darwin Quintero, there, are there any other players that FC Dallas should be watching out for as, as we go into Friday? Well, the, the attacking. Uh, 
prowess of the Dynamo when you look at it. Adding Quintero was um, was kind of like the icing on the cake because Albert Elise is obviously the player who the Dynamo go through. Um, you can see it, and you could see it in the tournament that every time they would win the ball in the defensive end, in many cases, the default look was to find out if Elise was open and to get the ball to him because they want him operating one-on-one with, because there are very few defenders in the league that can really handle him. He is a, he, he's a phenomenal player. The final ball would be better. Um, in a lot of cases, but he is he is a very difficult player to handle, and and uh, particularly when you pair him up with uh, with Quintero and also with Mauro Minotas, who quietly, um, if in fact this was a regular season, Mauro Minotas by the end of the year would probably be the all-time Dynamo MLS leading goal scorer. Um, and when you think about it in terms of players like Ching and, and Di Rosario and Davis, that's quite a statement. And and he still he's he's gotten off to a slow start. He scored in the opening game against the Galaxy, the 1-1 tie. But uh, since that time, he hasn't scored again. And, and I think that he's like a striker. He's in a little bit of a cold stretch. So I'd, 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 I think I'd pay attention to him because if he gets his first goal, uh, he's going to be a tough player to, to, uh, to keep control of. One other player that I'd pay attention to um, that, that flies a little bit under the radar is a homegrown signing from the Dynamo, Memo Rodriguez. And Rodriguez has grown enormously since, um, you know, since he first started in the academy. And he was actually at one point cut by the Dynamo after he had been loaned out to Charleston. They sent him down to RGV, uh, our USL affiliate, and he played there under uh, Wilmer Cabrera. Wilmer brought him back to the Dynamo. And year after year, you can see the progress that Memo is making. And he scored the first two goals against LAFC. Um, he knows how to go get into pockets and uh, to exploit openings and opportunities. And, and he's another player that is somebody to really pay attention to. They, Tab has moved him into the center midfield this year, um, as opposed to the wing where he was playing previously, and he's much more effective there. So as we look at the, the game, it almost feels like uh, Houston is almost the antithesis of what we saw with Nashville the last couple of matches for FC Dallas, where... Nashville was happy to sit back, concede possession, stay compact at the back, and just wait for an opportunity. Um, are are there? Do, do you have any thoughts? I guess about how they how they match up. The the that you what you just described sounds like kind of like the Dynamo were in 2017, um, where they would concede enormous amount of possessions, and then Elise and Kyoto would just get out and run um, mm-hmm. in transition, and they would punish people uh, until the until the league figured it out. Um, in last year, there was still a lot of that that was happening. Um, but this year, again, Tom Ramos really wants to play and the backs are getting up and they are trying to put a much more of an attacking effort in. Um, and But on the other hand, he's still implementing his system and there's a whole lot to be figured out there. The Dynamo brought in a couple of new pieces this week uh, with Wilfred Sahibo. They acquired him from the Revolution, a midfielder. And then they also brought in um, Ariel Lassiter, who was a forward that uh, that actually played with the Galaxy a few years ago. Um, more, more with Galaxy 2 than he did with the Galaxy. But he went down to uh, Costa Rica and sort of remade himself. Um, and he, he was recently just actually, they acquired his rights from the Galaxy and brought him on, on, on loan from Alan Huese in, uh, in Costa Rica. So adding those two people into the mix, um, there is just a, uh, there, you know, it, it, it's hard to figure out exactly what you're going to see on the field. But I think that it, there's a pretty good indication that what you saw previously is that Tab is continuing to work on this, trying to build out of the back and, and, and trying to get people forward to attack. So I think you're going to see a little bit different approach than you saw from Nashville. Uh, how effective it's going to be and, and who the players that are going to be in there and where they're going to be is probably an open question. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest questions for FC Dallas as, as well. Um, we saw, you know, two very different looks between the first match against Nashville and the second match against Nashville. Um, where in the second match we saw um, Frank O'Hara and um, Cobra both both starting, which is something that uh, we didn't think we'd necessarily see so soon. Jonathan, do you think that that um, Luchi Gonzalez sticks with something like that? Or do you think that um, we'll see yet another way for FC Dallas to roll out? I, I, th- I think we're going to see the same formation as we saw in the last match with the 4-3-3. I do think that it's going to match up better against Houston. Uh, it's going to be a lot more open play 
So I also I also predict it's going to be a lot more exciting match than what we've seen in the last the last two with with Nashville, and I, I certainly hope so. Um, I hope it's exciting in the good way for FC Dallas. Of, of course, of course. <laughs> um, the uh, I mean, but I, I I didn't like that double striker setup. I mean that it just ha- basically right with uh, um, Hara sitting sitting beneath Cobra it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I, th- I think I- I'm going back to the same thing I was pushing for before the match, which is I think Paxton needs to be in that ten spot or whatever you want to call it, the center attacking midfielder, center um, attacking linking defensive midfielder. There we go. <laughs> um, with uh, with. Fafa and Mikey on the wings and probably Cobra up top. So, I mean, that's, which would put Hara on the bench, the new DP, right, for, for the start. But um, I think that we need to see some more fluidity in the in the attacking portion of the SC Dallas formation um, because that's definitely not something we saw in the last two matches. Yeah, no, I, I think for me, I, I would kind of go at it a little differently. I'd bring Cobra on. It's a derby, right? And there's there's going to be a lot of emotion, and there's there's always a, a pretty good you know tension between FC Dallas and uh, the Dynamo, and I, I think that you you save Cobra to the 60th, 65th minute and bring him in for that emotional spark to carry you over the line. If if you know you're tied or you're up one, like, even if you're down, like he's he's the type of player that can. And can emotionally put the team on its back and just, I mean, you heard him yell at, at uh, Mikey Barrios in the last match. It was like just giving him holy hell to try to, because he missed a shot, right? So like, I don't know. I think for me, uh, I would agree that about the formation. I think that uh, the, the, the three, five, two or what three, five, one, one or whatever they were going to call it. I think we, we don't see that until, maybe later in a game that they're chasing. Um, but, you know, you never know. Um, that 10 spot, still a big question for me. Um, I think it, I think they go back to Jesus, to be honest. And have Paxton on the bench? Uh, either that or on the wing. I think that, that uh, I think that Lucci's with Ricarte coming in, I think that he's wanting to find ways to get Paxton in the match, knowing and get minutes, knowing that that's not that the ten spots not necessarily going to be his uh, in the long term. So I think he just wants to get him in there. I don't know. Uh, we shall find out. Um, can I can I make one more observation? The one thing that uh, that always sends chills down my spine, frankly, when we play FC Dallas is Barrios, and I I, I get a little bit concerned when I realized that Lundquist and Quintero on the left-hand side, um, it, particularly if if, Lund, if uh, Quintero is coming into the middle and Lundquist is overlapping all the time, that leaves a wide gap open um, on the right-hand side of the field. And having uh, Barrios coming down that right-hand side is, uh, it, you know, could present some real challenges for the Dynamo. And uh, we have uh, Matias Vera is a an exceptional, you know, pretty underrated uh, holding midfielder uh, that we have, but he can only cover so much ground. And and it uh, and we don't have the fastest defenders in the league, um, to say the least. Um, you know, Maynard Figueroa is bless his heart is a great uh, you know is a great veteran, but he's also 37 years old. So you know, it's uh, it it's it it really. I think that's one of the things that that concerns me a little bit going into this match. Uh, you know, as an FC Dallas fan, it's it's real easy to to get caught up in all the other things about the team and forget about Mikey Barrios. He, you're right, like. He's consistently so good and so tricky and so fast, and we just kind of forget about it with all the other drama going on. I think, at least I do. I don't know, Jonathan, you're that way. I, I never forget Mikey. He's my favorite player. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I agree. I think yeah, that that'll be something to watch is the the over overlapping runs with him and 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 Reggie um, on that side. You know, assuming assuming Reggie's still around. Um, the uh, it. I, th- I agree. It's going to cause some issues for for the Dynamo, but I also think that uh, FC Dallas is going to have some issues of their own. So it's it, it, uh, we haven't gotten to predictions yet, but I, th- I I predict there will be more goals than the last two games for uh, FC Dallas. Well, you you brought them up. Let's put you on the spot. If you had to predict what the score of the game will be, what do you think it will be, Jonathan? I, I think uh, 
both teams go away disappointed with a 2-2 draw. How about you, Jeff? I I, I think I, uh, I it seems like every time the Dallas comes down and plays in Houston, it's a draw. So I'll go for a draw and I'll, I'll throw a few more goals in. I'll say I think it may be 3-3. All right. Well, for me. So are you going to go 4-4, Dustin? Come on. No, I don't want to like this <laughs> arms race here. Uh, no, I think I'm going to go with you. I think I'm going to go with a 2-2. Um, I think that the the style matchup is a little bit better for FC Dallas, but I think uh, offensively. Um, but I do think that uh, you know for uh, all the reasons that Jeff stated earlier that they're going to have some trouble containing um, Cantero and Elise. So we shall see. Um, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you inviting me. You, you, you should you should know before before Dustin gets you know more information about you that we're only allowed to have one Houston Dynamo fan on every year, and we chose it to be you. <laughs> so so you should be I, you should I, be quite I, proud. I, he's like I, I am I, I am very honored to have that opportunity. <laughs> well, he does so much for the Texas as a whole that I think that we can overlook that part of it. Well, and one of the things I mentioned to Dustin is that uh, I do have a little bit of an FC Dallas pedigree to a certain extent. My daughter went to UT Dallas, and uh, during the time that she was up there at UT Dallas, we actually had a, a FC Dallas mini season ticket plan also. And so I saw a fair number of games in uh, in Frisco uh, when I was up there. So I've uh, I, I have I have a small smidgen of credibility up there. I think. So maybe. what you're saying is you are the half and half scarf of fans. No, no, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Good. No one should ever go that far. <laughs> I, and unfortunately, next year with, the, you know, with all the uh, I linked into all the fan groups that are starting with uh, with uh, Austin FC here, I may have to split that scarf into thirds. Oh, yeah. That'll be a very festive scarf. All right. So, Jeff, uh, people want to if people want to find out more about Texas Soccer Journal and you, where can they go? Um, my uh, website is uh, www.txsoccerjournal.com and Twitter at txsoccerjournal. And is Twitter the best place for them to kind of reach out and, and engage with you? Yes. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this show, uh, make sure you go and check out Texas Soccer Journal. Make sure you hit subscribe in your podcast app. Hit us up on Twitter as at Dallas Soccer Show. Um, and our website is dallassoccershow.com. Thanks for listening, everybody.